Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with keyboardist, composer, band leader, songwriter, producer, and educator, the great David Billingsley. He released his debut solo piano album on May 15th called Hymns from Grandma's Living Room, and he talks about it. Born in Racine, Wisconsin, and now residing in Minneapolis, Minnesota, this child prodigy made his debut as a professional musician at 11 and has worked for years in the studio, toured, educated, and launched several successful music businesses and community endeavors. He is the founder and executive director of a school called the Billingsley School of Music and Arts, which provides intensive music education to K-12 students who lack access to high-quality arts education. He's got a great story, man, so dig it. Hey, Joe, how you doing? Hey, what's up, man? How are you? I'm good, man. I'm having a good day, doing good, getting it started. How you doing? Uh, yeah, we're getting after it, man. You know? That's the only <laughs> way to do it. <laughs> Yeah. Thanks for uh, reaching out, man. How did you hear about me and everything? You said, was it uh, iTunes? Man, yeah, and dude, when you put that, that post up on your page, I was showing my wife, I was like, you got to check this out. This guy sent requests to 300 stations, and just on a whim, I reach out. So, yeah, man, that, that, that's a power higher than us that's, that's doing some work right there. Yep, definitely. Yeah, so I, I did see you on iTunes, and I just, uh, and I read your bio, and, you know, there was just so much that made sense to me. I'm surprised that more people haven't reached out to, for your debut album, Being a Child Prodigy, the amount of experience you've had since the 2000s. I would think that would be a slam dunk interview. Yeah. <laughs> so, Thanks a lot. I appreciate that. Yeah, without a doubt. So, man, hey, how are you holding up in the COVID-19 weird world that we're living in? Great question. Um, I'm holding up pretty good. Um, you know, it's been a pivot time for me, um, and it's been a time to shift and figure out a new way to do things. And um, so far, so good, you know. Uh, just adjusting, you know. Things are out of my control, so just trying to do the best I can with what I've been given. And so started a new business in a pandemic uh, as far as being an artist and putting my music out there. and um, it's really paid off. I think it's been a really good thing, um, a blessing for people and a blessing for me as well. So um, I found that I had to pivot in this in this time, you know, and do something different as a musician and artist because, you know, I'm normally on the road touring and playing music and doing things with large groups of people, and that's not possible. So um turned to the Internet, and I've been finding a lot of fans and listeners and people, you know, who are also – quarantine looking for stuff so you know looking for art and things to do so it's been a good it's been actually a really good quarantine for me honestly um, this is kind of my dream and what I've always wanted was the time that to me that's what being a successful artist is is having the time to make your art you know and to do um, what's, what you're passionate about so I'm finally getting a chance to do all these things all these different creations that I have in my mind and um, they're, they're starting to come to fruition now and it feels really good you know, I guess that's the thing that's bittersweet about this. You know, I th there might be something really special about releasing music during this time, kind of an indelible mark that's going to be left on people's minds. And I think, you know, people are going to have that latitude to delve into music, but you won't have that, you know, live aspect to back it up. But maybe, you know, maybe the good outweighs the bad with it. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm glad you said that, too, because that's what I've been finding is that, um, the the music that we release specifically is all hymns. So this is tradition, 
it takes you back to your grandma, your great grandma, um, you know, your upbringing, memories, smells, food, all of that kind of stuff. And so, what we're finding is that people are using this um, because to feel good, to feel better about their lives. Um, one of my best friends, his mom, she uh, died recently of COVID, and um, he would just stream my album to her um, all day. Um, and she would listen to that. Um, he asked for a special version of what a friend we have in Jesus with like some New Orleans kind of with a dance swing on it, kind of jazzy. And um, I sent that to her, and then she passed away. You know, and so um, that's the that's the kind of work I'm doing right now. Um, you know, that's kind of you know it's cool to be on the iTunes charts at number four. We debuted on number four in the iTunes charts for the jazz category. You know, it's cool to. You know, these accolades and stuff and good reviews and, and positive press, but more than anything, um, I'm finding that this music is about helping people's lives and helping them find comfort, strength, and healing in these times. That's kind of what my grandma, when we opened the album, that's what she talks about. You're playing Revive Me, Restore Me, brought about peace and, and you know, gave me strength until God calls me home. So that's really, she kind of gave me the blueprint, you know, through that message years ago. Um, and, and now I'm just kind of walking in it and fulfilling it. So my job is to give people peace, comfort, um, you know, revitalization and, and until they, until they, you know, until God calls them home. That's just what I'm doing. So, um, yeah, it's been interesting. It's been a very um, different ride than I thought. I, I, you know, I knew I was going to release this album. I didn't know it would be in a pandemic, um, and I didn't know what the need of the people would be, but it's, it's very clear that this is helpful. Well, and, you know, the one thing I keep thinking about, too, especially in the realm of jazz, is that it's probably, from an artistic standpoint, one of the highest level of, uh, one of the highest levels of improv, and this just has to play to the whole nature of the music in itself. Yeah, no, I, I totally get it. Um, and that's kind of the blessing of the album. I feel like I played them traditional enough for you to understand and feel the song. Okay, yeah, I remember the song. This is the way it goes. But then once we put that improv on it and, and, um, you know, put our own stylings and own voicings and ideas on it, it turns into something completely different. And I think that's what people appreciate about the album is that it's very traditional but also extremely modern at the same time. So we're just trying to, you know, push the art forward and give people something new, you know, as far as gospel hymns, you know, that, that hasn't been done as much, gospel slash jazz hymns, you know, and so... And we're just trying to to also educate people, like you know, and leave some leave a legacy and a sound, so that people have a blueprint to follow, almost like a fake book or you know anything else. Um, but this is more along this side of you know the spiritual aspect of it. But it's still jazz, you know, because it all comes from that same place, really. This has obviously been in your blood for a long time. You're from Wisconsin, and you know, as your bio says. You're a child prodigy, and I, I know sometimes that can be problematic for some people because it sets up kind of that vault and that soapbox that could be just a lot of expectations. But realistically, you have been playing a lot of instruments from an early age. So talk to me a little bit about how these seeds of music began and your, kind of your upbringing. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I would say preschool, <laughs> birth pretty much. At preschool, teachers were already um, sending reports home um, noting my interest in music and how good I was at it and how I gravitated to it a lot. Um, and so that was four or five years old. Um, at six years old, my dad got me piano lessons because of the interest I had already had. I would go to church and I would just stare at the musicians while they would play. 
And I would imitate and mimic anything they did. The way they clapped, the way they moved, I did everything just like them, not even realizing I was just called to it, you know, at such a young age, and that's what I was supposed to do, and I was attracted to it immediately upon seeing it. It was like love at first sight, and I haven't fell out of love yet. <laughs> and so, um, you know, started there. I would bring my toy saxophone to church, um, plastic, and then I would play along with the with the musicians trying to be like them. I bring a tambourine sometimes, whatever I could to to join in with the music, you know, that communal singing and playing of instruments. Um, then I end up at my home church, I ended up playing uh, the tambourine for years. Like, I just wanted to be up there. I just wanted to be doing something musical. So I started on the tambourine, and then uh, our organist at the church left around when I was 10 or 11, and uh, they were like, all right, well, it's time for you to do it. So I was the main musician, and the small church in Racine, Wisconsin, Faith Church of God. Um, I was that was my first professional gig. I was getting paid twenty five dollars a week um, at the age of eleven or ten to, to play music, and um, it's it's been it's, it's been like that ever since. So you know, then I started my own group. Got class, I was classically trained. Got lessons and stuff. I quit classical lessons at fourteen because I wanted to play jazz and gospel and improv. I like reading the music, but I wanted to play more what was in my heart. So I met a few teachers that were able to help me with that. Tim Johnson, Jim Saki, um taught me the jazz. Susan McKeever, they taught me, you know, classical, jazz, and gospel, basically. Took that on to college. I um, also had a group in, in, in uh, high school. We traveled a little bit. And um, went to Chicago, Arkansas. I was a kid, you know, had a group writing my own songs and performing them across the country with a, with a group of all my friends and musicians growing up at home. So that was fun, too. Went to college and kept kept doing the music thing. Um, played for a gospel choir. Started a gospel choir in Eau Claire. Yeah, it was, it, no, we started with zero members. Got up to like 150 um, by the time I left there. So I've just always been building, and then continued um, during college. Went to the Twin Cities, played music there on the weekends. Got connected with the Sounds of Blackness and um, their Grammy winners. Um, James Green Company, Daniel Davis and the Remnant started my own band in PLS and just really built, you know, kept building the brand, serving people, playing music, traveling when I could, when opportunities presented themselves. Um, and then that eventually landed me with what I'm doing now, and that's um, since 2017 I've been playing with. To me, my it's my ultimate gig. It's the best thing of my career so far is playing with Stokely Williams. Um, he's the uh, he's an R&B legend. And uh, he's the lead singer of Make Condition. He has now gone solo, and he's making his own music. He just got a, his first number one on the billboards um, a few months back. And um, so that that's what I'm doing now. You know, we're traveling and doing that kind of thing right now. Of course, we're not. But once this, um, you know, lifts, we're going to be back out there um, sharing music all around the world again. So um, that's been my background. You know, as a kid, I started in poverty. I started poor. Um, and I just really, music was my medicine. It was it was my therapy. It was what made life better for me, easier, um, more able to cope and deal with it. And um, and sharing that with people and allowing that to change their lives is, is what really, you know, is what did it for me. And so I've just been doing music ever since. Um, yeah, from nothing basically to a professional, you know. And then not only that, now also doing my own music, and I also have a school of music and art um, called the Village School of Music and Arts, and what we do is we provide access to kids who can't afford it, kids who are like me. Um, a lot of 
that's that's why I started to school. A lot of kids who were African American black growing up, I didn't see them in lessons with me. I didn't see them in the competitions. I was often the only one, and so it made me want to do something about that. And so since I've I've uh, you know started teaching kids and teaching people, I have two professional keyboard players now who are playing in the field. One in L.A., one right here in town who got on billboard with his songs. Um, and so, you know, now my goal is to just get 10 more of those kids and, and to keep pushing that brand as well and to keep, you know, giving more kids access to the arts. So for me, it started as a kid and, and it grew into a profession um, where I'm, you know, and I want to do the same thing for other kids. You know, it's like do like how Mozart, you know, he started at three, four years old. People started recording his compositions and writing down what he was doing and, you know, you can build a career pretty early on. And so that's kind of what I want to do now for other kids. I didn't have that opportunity until now to put out my first album. I'm 35. I would love for a child prodigy to put off their first album when they're 10 or 15 or, you know, and, and so that people can see that growth so they can, you know, grow with that artist, that fan base can grow, the revenue streams, all of that. I'm looking to bring kids out of poverty through music and through arts um, because it worked for me. And so, that's basically my story. That's how I got started, and now this is what I'm doing to help the next generation and to give back and to make sure that, you know, music never dies, jazz and, and, and gospel music and then those roots that I have that they live on forever through me, but also through the lineage of students that I'm teaching. Well, the name of the debut CD is Hymns to My Grandma's Living Room, and obviously family and, and that lineage has been huge in your life. Talk to me a little bit about those influences, forces that have led you to who you are. Yes, um, yes. My village, they're from racing, and uh, my grandmother was the biggest part of my village. She raised me, basically. My my parents divorced when I was one, and so uh, she, you know, I lived with her, and um, she taught me everything. She was an educator. She was a cook. She was a sweet woman. She was a leader in the church, did all the church plays, all the Sunday school stuff. That was all her. So we were there. 15 minutes before everybody else, and she just taught me how to serve and how to help people, you know. Um, and and I really credit the black church with my upbringing. That's where I learned how to public speak. That's where I played Happy Birthday for the first time. That's where I played my first music. That's where, you know, uh, all of it happened right there. And so, um, you know, I think of Sunday dinners. I think of fellowships that we used to have. Um, all of that kind of stuff went into building me and who I am today. So, um, I credit them, and that's why, you know, I shot all the photos right in my childhood home and my childhood church because for me as a black kid growing up, that's what they use for us to stay out of trouble, to stay out of gangs, to stay out of drug life and all of that kind of stuff. They they, they, they pointed us towards music and God, um, and it stuck with me. And so um, I'll, I'll forever be grateful for that. And the village, they, they continue to carry me. Um, they're the ones buying my CDs. They're the ones that... Um, you know, our show I love, sharing, sharing, sharing what it is we're doing. I'm just so proud of what it is we are and the sound we made back then and, and, and able to access that again. So it's a nostalgia thing. Um, but more than anything, the village is, is what has sustained me. And that's, that's the way it took a, a hundred people to raise me. I mean, the black culture is a little different how it works for us. And so I had a village. I had my aunties, my cousins, my brothers, sisters, my mom, my grandma, grandpa. Um, cousins, friends, all these people made up my village um, because, you know, that that's just what it required and what it took. Um, we lack resources, and we had to pull all of that together to, you know, create what it is we wanted to see in the world. And so that's what we've been doing. And so 
Um, I'm proud of my village. They're proud of me, and we just want to continue on. And we know that we need each other and that we're only here because of the help from our friends and our and our community. So, yeah, that's kind of my upbringing in the village and, and what they did for me. Well, I guess that's the key in our world today. The thing that you hear most is, is that hopefully what this does, there's a lot of a lot of things I think that are going to come out of this. You know, Mother Nature wins. There's a lot of things that are out of our control that we have to live with, and yeah. community is the main thing, looking after each other, because that's the key to all of this. You know, there's a lot of people that need help. There's a lot of people that require things that are going to help them exist in this world, and I think that's probably a, a, on a grander level what you're talking about. Definitely, definitely. And and that's that's what we're focused on now. So it's like, all right. Um, we sold 150 CDs to people. Who who else needs this music, and how can we get it to them? Um, you know, and so that that's what we're thinking about now. Is next? What's next? You know, let's hit up the funeral homes. Let's go to the nursing homes. Let's go to the churches, the places where these people are. Um, you know, who 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 would resonate with this music and and who would vibe with it? You know, and 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 hopefully it'll change their life in the process. So. The music is, is definitely, you know, it's, it's great for us to do, but it's, it's definitely a healing balm and a medicine that we use to help people during these times. Yeah, and we're finding that it's, it's really, it's truly helping people. They're, they're, with instrumentals, you know, it's just piano, so piano album. And so, you know, it allows people to reflect, to kind of relax their minds, um, to be at ease and not, not so occupied with the pressures of, of the day, you know, and, and the circumstances that we're going through. A nice escape and a chance to release some of those problems and worries to God and, you know, that kind of thing. Talk to me a little bit about what you like the best about being a musician. <laughs> what do I like best about being a musician? Um, wow, that's a great question. I would say what I like more than anything is the opportunity to help people's lives be better, to change their lives. Um, I love, love, love uh, to just share, to share music, and I love to see how it brings all people together from all walks of life, um, different beliefs, different creeds, religions, all of that kind of stuff. Um, once you put out some music, it just changes the whole atmosphere, um, and it sets it up, you know, just differently. And so that's, that's what I love about music more than anything. Being a musician, I love traveling. I love to go to fun restaurants all over the world and um, eat yummy foods, um, see different cultures. That's one of the coolest things about being a musician, too. We see all walks of life. So definitely a different perspective on life and people and situations and all of that. Um, we just see it from a different a different light, you know. Um, yeah, we see so much. We see the wealthy. We see the poor. You know, I, I like to do a little bit of everything. I like to play for all types of people so that I can. It just makes me a more well-rounded person, Um and I think that's why musicians are so intellectual and so good with people and, and, and good in life because, you know, we just, we've seen so much and, and we take from every experience that we, you know, that we see and, and we, we learn from it and then we use it. So those are the greatest joys of being a musician. I love to travel. I love to see things. I love to share with people, um, help their lives and, um, you know, go home to my family and, and support them, uh, after it's all said and done, it's, it's really a beautiful exchange and a two-way street. Um, and I love interacting with the fans, too, more than anything. That's one of the biggest things I love to do is to hear from people, seeing how they feel about the music, suggestions they have, um, you know, just hitting them up, seeing how they're doing, checking in on them. Uh, I love the connection that I have with people right now through through this music.
um, that's, that's been the biggest blessing. So what was the first live show you saw that made you think, man, that's what I want to do with my life? And Hank Jones. Um, like I said, I grew up in poverty, so I didn't go to concerts and stuff growing up often. Very rare that I do anything like that or, you know, go to Milwaukee or some of the other bigger cities to see artists. Um, so one time I was in high school, actually, and I had just won an AXO competition, NAACP AXO. It's like a competition for youth people, for youth kids who are in the arts. And I went to nationals, but I met a guy named Thomas White. I'll never forget, and this is part of that village I was talking about. Thomas saw my gift. He kind of saw where I was headed, and he decided to buy tickets to go see Hank Jones, who has passed away now, but he was a legendary jazz piano player. Um, afterwards, we went up to him. He, he, he had me go on stage and take a picture with him, get his autograph, talk with him and all of that. And um, that changed my life. I've never, ever been in a concert hall in that way. Um, and to see that performance, to see it just be a piano, you know, and, and, and a few other, uh, I think it was like a combo. And just to see see that and to see that this was possible, like, wow, a black man playing piano um, and, you know, in front of thousands of people, like, like that, can, that can be your reality no matter where you come from. And so since then, that really sparked my dream, you know, and that, that really sparked that goal of, of becoming that pianist that plays, you know, and, and plays for people and, and, and helps, helps folks out, but does it on a professional level. Um, you know, I've seen it in the black church. I've seen it in other ways, but in concert halls and in universities and master classes, that's next level. And, and that's what I saw, and so that's what I've always obtained to, to try to reach ever since. Man, that's a great story for sure. So we're going to get out of this COVID-19 world that we live in. We're going to get back onto the stage, and both musician and the crowd's going to get back. What do you mm -hmm. hope we... What do you hope we realize about this absence of live music? What What do you hope we come back with, both as audience and musician? A deeper appreciation for life and 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 our blessings and and what it is that life has been and and, and what we have. Um, I think now more than ever we realize that music is essential. Um, that it's so important. Um, that we miss it. And we can't wait to be back in the concert halls, can't wait to be back at the music festivals. Um, to just not take things for granted anymore and to really count our blessings and to be grateful for what it is we have. Um, I think that's been the biggest that's been the biggest lesson to me. Um, is to just be grateful. Be don't forget like we we just have it really good. I, I didn't realize how good we had it, I guess, you know, until now I'm like, wow. wow looking back at things, and life was so cool. It was like, almost like, wow, this is, I can't wait to get back to this. I, I hope that this is possible again, and, and I just want to be back because I think now we understand, we appreciate teachers more. We appreciate our frontline workers more, you know, in the hospitals, our doctors and nurses and, um, you know, our educators, our, our front frontline people. I, I honestly, I appreciate the grocery store workers way more now. I thank them for their service like they're a war veteran almost, you know. Um, and so it's just to not take anything for granted. Don't take anything lightly and know that um, we're all needed and, and we need to appreciate what it is we have because it's so special and so delicate and can be taken away so quickly if we're not careful. So you obviously have your own school and you're a well-educated man. What, what did your mentors uh, teach you? What seeds did they put into you that have made you the teacher that you want to be for the kids around you? That's a great question. Humility, 
um, Tim Johnson, my number one mentor, he always taught me to be humble um, and to not allow things to get to your head. Um, you know, and that that's been a that's been a big, big, big lesson for me and a big lesson for my students. I teach them all the time. You know, come back and tell me and once they're adults, Oh man, Mr. B, you you talking about being humble. That's so right. Like I see now why that matters. You know. Lessons that they used to teach me. Just uh to play with feel, play with emotion, challenge yourself, constantly stretch. Look for your weaknesses and, and find ways to expand on them. One of my mentors just told me for years, David, I'm waiting on your project. I'm waiting on your music. And for years, I was a musician. I was serving others. You know, I was on tour. I was doing this and that. But he, was, he kept saying, I'm waiting on your music, Tim Johnson. I'm waiting on your music. I'm waiting on your music. And, um, you know, so so, so they, they, my mentors, they just speak life into me. You know, they tell me not to give up, not to quit Stokely. He's he's a mentor of mine now, and he speaks life. He, he you know, he'll text me after a show or whatever, keep going, hang in there, avoid the fear frequency. That's another big one for me right now is avoiding the fear frequency. That's what I learned from my mentors. Because you're going to doubt yourself. You're going to feel like you're not enough. You're going to feel judged. You're going to feel like people are not as receptive or warm or warm to you as they should be or whatever it is. And it's really not about us right now. We're in a pandemic and people are doing the best they can to survive. And, and the, the blessings that you do receive, the support you do receive from fans and and others is is just an added bonus right now. You know, it's, it's actually a blessing from God. It's not required. So, um, just to be humble, to um, avoid the fear factor, and to put out music. Those were the biggest things that 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 they taught me. Um, and now I see the power in all three of those different concepts now, and how it's working for me. You know, I avoided the fear factor, um, and I did it anyway. Got seven, eight thousand views on a on a on a on a live video that I did, you know. And so, if I, you know, just listening to that to those messages, if I put out an album, we can go number four on iTunes within the first week, and we can stay on the charts all week, you know. If you know, if I wouldn't have listened to them, none of this stuff would have happened. I would have never realized my potential and the power that music really has and how it can spread. You know, it's been really incredible to see that spread. So everything's going to come down to this. Everyone has a perception of you, your family, your friends, your students, your fans, but you're the one living your life. Who do you think you are? I'm an evolving, <laughs> constantly changing, perfectly imperfect human, doing the best I can, growing in wisdom and love every day, and trying to be the best person I can, um, regardless of whatever's thrown my way and whatever circumstances or burdens, uh, you know, self-inflicted or, or inherited. I'm just always trying to um, take it up, take it up, find find a way to uh, upgrade, find a way to better myself, better the people around me, better my community, better my friends. Um, and then also just be in exist and also be patient with myself and gentle and kind, you know. So I would say all of those things really um, kind of sum up who I am, so people will know. Yep, David, he's not perfect, but he's sincere, and and what he does, he, you know, he, he works hard at it, and he's professional, and he tries his best, you know, and he, he gives it his best effort, and he tries to give you quality, and he tries to do things well and at a high level. I don't always succeed, but I'm definitely, you know, that is definitely my mission and my goal always. Um, and so, yeah, that's what I would say for that. Right on, man. Hey, thanks, David, for taking some time out. Thank you for talking and opening up about your life and music during this very surreal time on the planet. I appreciate it. 
thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. I really, really do. Thanks for listening and tuning in to another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest cats in Wisconsin, Minnesota, Kansas City, and spots all over the world giving fans all that jazz. And thanks to David for his time, music, and stories. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino on the iTunes Store. Visit Neon Jazz at YouTube.com. And for everything Neon Jazz, go to the neonjazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the jazz, my friends. Neon Jazz.